This is a lesson that's going to be different than any that I've ever taught. This is uh, one that I have been very familiar with for some time, but I've never taught on it. And uh, in fact, I don't think I've ever heard it taught quite like I'm going to teach it here tonight. Praise God. <clears throat> and uh, I've entitled it At the Foot of Calvary. At the Foot of Calvary. And I'm going to get us focused here. This is what's being handed out to you now. our title up there because I'm going to refer to that. Let me go back a little bit here. All right. Praise God. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 27, 35 for just a moment here. And this is where we're going to start with our, our text. It's a very simple, uncomplicated text, but I've got a lot of interesting things to, to give you here tonight. I think it's going to be a blessing to all of us, and I'm going to speak from my heart to you about some things that I think are coming down the pike uh, toward the church, and we're living in the end time, the last days, and so forth, and <clears throat> things that we need to know about this coming on the face of the earth. And I'm reading here in verse 35. This is verse 35. This is Matthew 27, 35. And this is what's at the very top of your handout that you have. And if you look at that with us, and they crucified him. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, they nailed him to the cross and they hung him up. They parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. All of that was prophesied. Look at verse 36. And sitting down, they watched him there. They watched him. And I want to talk to you a little bit here today about what are we doing? What are we doing at the foot of the cross? What are we doing at the foot of the cross? And... The whole world today is at the foot of Calvary. Where the mankind doesn't realize it, but I'm going to show you that in a moment. We're at the foot of Calvary. And what are we going to do with what Jesus has presented to us? A plan of salvation, a way to have eternal life, a way to escape all the judgments that eventually are coming on the face of this earth. And today... The world stands at the foot of Calvary. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit. If you look at number one here, and this is entitled Israel at the Foot of Mount Sinai. Israel at, at the Foot of Mount Sinai. I want to show you something here. This is why Calvary is the way it is and the way it was presented to us today and why Jesus came the way he did. And all because this is all based here on what happened here at the Mount Sinai, when the Lord had <clears throat> led the children of Israel <clears throat> out of Egypt and they had gone for three months out of Egypt. They were only out three months and they came to the foot of the cross. I'm reading here 19.1. 1. 
This is in your notes there, as you can well see. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they unto the wilderness of Sinai. Sinai is the wilderness. This is where the Mount Sinai was. I'm jumping over to 10 now to save time and to get to my point very quickly here. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Okay, it was going to be a big occasion. Now, verse 16, I'm jumping down to verse 16. This is all according to your notes there. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. They shook. They trembled because of the presence of God that was coming down upon the mountain. Now, I won't go into more detail, but in the 20th, cha 20th chapter in verse 1, it begins, it says, And God spake all these words, saying, And this is what he did. He gave them the Ten Commandments by voice. He came down on the, from the, on the mountain and God spake to them, spoke to them. It says spake, spoke. God spoke to them the Ten Commandments. And he gave it all to them. And this Ten Commandments is recorded here starting in verse 3. And it goes all the way down through uh, verse eight, 17, I believe it is. And, and when they were all through, here's what I'm going to jump down to. Verse 19 and they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. They were shaking, they were trembling, they were fearful, they, they were as scared as any people could possibly be when the presence of God and the spirit of God came down that mountain and spoke. All he had to do was speak to them as God can speak and did speak then to them and God spoke to them and the people were very fearful I'm skipping on down from 19 to verse 21 and the people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was and the Lord said unto Moses thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven so the Lord spoke to them and declared these words unto them and scared them half to death. Now, uh, <clears throat> later on, God reminded them that he had given them the Ten Commandments. He gave it to them verbally. He gave them the Ten Commandments. I won't go through the Ten Commandments. That's not our study here tonight. But he gave them the Ten Commandments verbally. Then he also gave them the Ten Commandments written on stone. And then Moses broke the stones. And God then had Moses rewrite the Ten Commandments on stone himself. That is, chisel them out on stones that God gave him to chisel them on. So then they finally wound up with those Ten Commandments on the Ten Stones. 
and those were later put in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, for 40 years, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. They didn't have to. After about a year or so, they were ready to go in and God was ready to take them in, but they did not believe the Lord. They did not believe they could overcome. And so God says, because of that, I'm gonna let you keep on wandering in the wilderness for 38 more years, or two years they were in the wilderness. And then now for 38 more years. So for 40 years, and when they came to the end of that 40 years, now listen to me closely. I want you to go to Deuteronomy because in Deuteronomy, the Lord reminded them that he had given them the 10 commandments. Now this is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter five and we won't read it, but in Deuteronomy chapter five are the 10 commandments all over again. And the Lord reminded Moses, this is what I gave you to give the children of Israel. Now, a very interesting thing happens here in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18. And uh, this is where we are right, right here, Deuteronomy 18. If you look in the 15th verse, this is the Moses talking, the Lord thy God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. <clears throat> according, this is why, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, what you ask for there is what God's gonna do now. In the day of the assembly saying, let me not, and this is what the people had said to Moses, because we don't hear God anymore. Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. In other words, it was so frightening. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. The Lord said to Moses, they said that, I'm gonna honor that, that's exactly the way it'll be. No more will I speak from a mountain or speak verbally like this in this audible voice from heaven. They asked me not to, and I will not do it. Now, verse 18, Moses reminds them that God was telling them he was gonna send them a prophet. Look at verse 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Because they had asked, we don't wanna hear from God anymore like that. Everybody still with me? And so they said to him, we will just hear the prophet. And so he said, I'm gonna send you a prophet and uh, he shall speak unto thee, that I'm reading the latter part of the 18th verse, that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now, this is why Jesus Christ came in the fashion that he did, lowly, meek, and I talked to you about that last week in our Bible study. The Lord came not in a, in a great thundering way. God did not come, and God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself but he did not come with this dynamic power because they had said, don't speak to us like that anymore. You speak to Moses and let Moses speak to us. And the Lord said, I'm gonna raise up now a prophet that will be like Moses. Now the word prophet uh, is another expression of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ 
uh, was, he was the high priest, he was the king of Israel, and he was also a prophet. He was everything. You name it, Jesus was everything. And so he was also here called the prophet. So when Jesus would come, praise the Lord, it wasn't going to be that thundering and that lightning and that flashing and that dynamic force that they had experienced at Mount Sinai because they required it only to be spoken as a man would speak it. And so the Lord says, that's exactly the way we're going to do it. Now, this is brought out also in the book of Acts. This is one more verse that we uh, have. God promises of sending a prophet. And uh, if you look in Acts chapter 3, and this is verse 22, and this is just a statement referring to what happened there. This is 3.22, and I'm referring here to that next part, next scripture here, Acts uh, 3.22 here. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Everybody see that? Now, here's what it's boiling down to is that the people, praise the Lord, have a chance to be saved only by listening to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to really talk to you here tonight. We've got to listen to the Lord. And we've got to follow Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other alternative. There's no other religion. There's no other way of salvation. There's no other. There's, it, it could come no other way. Uh, there are those who believe that we're, it's like we're on a big wheel. And, and heaven is the hub. And there's a lot of spokes going into it. And different religions have their spoke. And they're all headed for the same direction. No, no, no. It's not like that at all. There's only one way to salvation. That's through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's through Jesus. Now, uh, I'm going to move on a little bit further here because I want to talk to you here. Look under number one here, I, which I just got through talking to you here, A. And uh, this is why we must hear and believe the teachings of Jesus Christ. He came as the only voice of God to humanity by which we might be saved. There's no other way. Now, B, this is very important. Now, stay with me on this. I won't get into some things here. The teachings that reject faith in Christ. There are certain teachings that reject it. Uh, I'm going to have you look at with the wood, please, with me for a moment. And then I'm going to read uh, from, from the, the humanist manifesto that I have here for you. Look in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 19. No, let me tell you what. I'll read that in a few minutes. Let me start with this humanist. This is a, a brochure that I have here. The Humanist Manifesto 1 and 2. And I'm going to read a, a few paragraphs out of this. Everybody with me now? Okay. I'm going to read what they're saying. This is, and it has, it has signatures in the back here where people have signed it. Well-known people in America that signed this, human, this uh, humanistic manifesto. This is what they declare. This is their statement. And it started out by saying, as in 1933, 
This referring back to they originally established the humanistic uh, manifesto and wrote, it, wrote out what they believed. As in 1933, humanists still believe that traditional theism, theism is the belief in God, traditional theism, especially faith in the prayer hearing God, assumed to love and care for people, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them is an unproved and outmoded faith. This is their statement now. You understand what I'm saying? If you've lost me here, you may be saying, I'm saying that. I'm not saying it. That's what this is saying. Everybody with me? And they are saying that, this, that religion and believing in Jesus Christ and the Bible and the word of God and that God answers prayer is not for us today. That's what they're basically saying. It's an outmoded faith. Salvation, salvationism based on mere affirmation still appears as harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven hereafter. This is really against us. Reasonable minds look to other means for survival. We therefore affirm the following. Now here's some of the things that they believe in what they teach. I'm telling you that folks because this is in our schools today. It is in our, it's in our universities today. It's, uh, it's, it's in the higher forms of education and they think they're so smart because they've rejected Jesus Christ and the simple form of salvation to be saved and that they are saying that we're gonna take care of everything ourselves. Here's what they say that they believe. This is concerning religion. We believe, however, that traditional dogmatic or authoritarian religions that place revelation, God, ritual and creed above human needs and experience do a disservice to the human species. Notice it doesn't say the human race, the human species. In other words, there's all kinds of species. Humans just another species. Traditional religions often offer solace to humans, but as often they inhibit humans from helping themselves or experiencing their, their own full potentialities. Such institutions, that's churches now, creeds and rituals often impede the will to serve others. In other words, to be a help to other people and help them. Too often traditional faiths encourage dependence rather than independence, obedience, rather than affirmation. So they are saying that we depend too much on God, looking unto God for our help and for our, listen to this now, everybody ready for this? Humans are responsible for what we will become. We are responsible, this is what they're saying. We are responsible for what we will become. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Promise of promises of immoral salvation or fear of eternal, eternal damnation are harmful. They distract humans from present concerns from self-actualization. And they are condemning faiths and religions and they're talking about us. They're talking about what we believe. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in eternal life. We believe there's a heaven to gain. We believe in living right, walking right, acting right, talking right, uh, living right, spitting white, as one guy said one time, just living a good life. You know what I mean. Now, I'm going to move on a little further here. 
They said, we find insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of a supernatural. It is either meaningless or irrelevant to the question of survival and fulfillment of the human race. As non-theists, that's non-believers in God, we begin with humans, not God. In other words, we're going to begin with the human race, not God. This is their basic beliefs that man created God in his own mind. And God did not create man. You understand what I'm saying? They believe that man created God in his own thoughts. We, we developed and imagined there was a God. God did not create man. This is what they're saying. And so they said that uh, as theists, we believe the human race, we believe with humans, not God. We begin with humans, not God, uh, nor deity. Humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Self-existing. Self-existing. Folks, that's so retarded. It's so retarded. They say that you look at the universe, everything is just already... My question I've asked every atheist and every imbecile that wants to believe that kind of a doctrine... I asked them one question, how did the universe get there? It, they always said it evolved, it evolved, it was always, it wasn't always there. Who put it there? Somebody had to have created the universe. It had to, somebody had to put it there. Now I'm gonna read a scripture to you. I'm gonna read Romans here. I'm going back to the Bible. I'll come back to this in a moment here. I got some other things to give you. Look here in uh, Romans uh, 1, 19. The Bible's already got them covered. He's already talked, the Bible already talks about these characters. This is 119 of Romans. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Uh, really? Yeah. For the invisible things of him, that is of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They have no excuse because God has shown them to heaven. That's his handiwork. Now, I'm gonna give you a few other scriptures here. This is not in your notes here. I'm just, this is, this is uh, Myers on the side here. I'm going to, I, I'm going to, to, uh, to uh, Psalms 19.1. Psalms 19.1. These are all confirmations to what I just read to you in Romans. This is Psalms 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmaments show his handiwork. Praise the Lord. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. Whether it's daytime or nighttime, you're going to see the handiwork of God. Praise the Lord. If it's daytime, you see it in God's creation on the earth. If it's nighttime, you see it in the heavens above. Praise the Lord. Look at, look at verse 3. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That is that the speech of heavens and the speech of nature that shows us that God made this, all of this. In other words, it's there. You look at it and you say, there's got to be a creator somewhere. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go to another verse of scripture here. This is also in Psalms. 
This is in Psalms chapter 8 and 3. Psalms 8, 3 and 4. I'm going to read two verses. 8 and 3. I don't want to get too far ahead of you. Thank you. Uh, but, I, but when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, look at that, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? In other words, how great is the universe, and Lord, you're still mindful of man. You still consider man. And the psalmist asks the question, but what is man that thou should even have to be considered of man, or you want to be considered of man, or you are considered of man? When you look at all the creations of God, what is man that art considered mindful of him and the son of man that thou hast visited him? You came down, of course, and this is a prophecy of the coming of Christ. Praise the Lord. So I'm just giving you some verses here. One more I'll give you, and I'll finish off with this one part here on the, the, uh, the humanist manifesto. I'll move on into some other areas here. Look at Proverbs 1 and 5. Proverbs 1 and 5. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. I'm in Proverbs 1 and 7 now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I'm jumping very quickly here to 24. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have set it not all my counsel and would not none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. This is God talking about men who are saying stuff like you read here in this manifesto, uh, this uh, humanistic manifesto. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your distraction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. In other words, these people have no fear of God. To put it in writing and then sign your name at the bottom of it? There's no fear of God. They would none of my counsel. They despise all my reproof. Verse 31, I'm finishing up here. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Now, I'm reading here out of this, um, this is the manifesto here. And uh, let me go a little bit further here with you. Uh, ethics, what do they say about ethics? We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous. That means it functions independently and is situational. Situational means it depends on the circumstance. In other words, the end justifies the means. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. It has nothing to do with right or wrong. It's how it's gonna wind up. If it winds up right, it's okay. Hey, can I tell you something? That's exactly what Nazism proclaimed in World War II. I know, I was a boy in World War II. I remember, I'm old enough to remember that. And I can remember World War II. I can remember things. And I can tell you that, that the Nazi party, that was the leaders of the Nazi party, said that the end would justify the means. It don't matter how we do it, how mean we do it, and how wicked we are in doing what we're doing, invading countries and killing people and killing off Jews and everything else. It doesn't matter how we do it, as long as we win the battle and the end will justify the means. That's, that was their belief. 
Well, that's what this, that's what's in here. And 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 in World War II, there was what's between fifty-five and eighty million people that died in World War II because of that attitude. So they talk about situational uh, needs here. I'm going to read on here. Ethics is autonomous and situational. In other words, ethics is not according to the word; it's whatever you think is right and how it's going to turn out. Needing no theological or ideological sanction, ethics stems from human need and interest. To deny this distorts the whole basis of life. Human life has meaning because we create and develop our futures. We strive for the good life here and now. Nothing to do with eternity. It's not anything to do after we die. It's all about here and now. That's it. And that's for sure. That's all it's going to be with them. Reason and intelligence are the most effective instruments that human can possess. And that's not true at all. Intelligence is not the imaginations of men. Uh, knowledge and wisdom is not the imaginations of men. Men can have imaginations. That's their imaginations. You know, but that's not knowledge. That's not wisdom. You know that. that all that comes from God and the fear of the Lord. Uh, the individual, let me just mention here about something. We affirm that moral values derive their source from, uh, let's see, I, I mentioned that, uh, the individual. In the area of sexuality, we believe that intolerant attitudes often cultivate by orthodox religions and pure, puritanical cultures, that's like being like the Puritans, Cultures unduly express sexual conduct, and that's wrong. The right to birth control and abortion and divorce should be recognized. It goes on to say, neither do we wish to prohibit by law or social sanction sexual behavior between consenting adults. That's license for homosexuality. Now, folks, that is as totally against the Bible I can, if I had time, I could take the next 15 minutes here and talk to you about what the Bible has said about homosexuality and lesbianism. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's dead wrong. I can go back to the first chapter of the book of Romans and show you. It declares it very specifically. Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord destroyed them with fire fell from heaven. It was all about, it was about homosexuality. It was, it's all there. It's right in, it's in that, it's in that 18th chapter. Uh, of, of the 18th chapter and 18, 19th chapter of uh, Genesis and all of this. So God despises it. He judges it. And that's what these people don't like. They don't like the fact that God has said it. Therefore, we put God, we just pushed him out of the way. We don't need God anymore. We got it all under control ourselves. And they're dead wrong. They're dead wrong. You know why? Because God's not going to speak from the mountain anymore. He speaks from Calvary. He speaks from Calvary, and it's how we look at Calvary. When we stand at the foot of the cross, how are we looking at Jesus Christ? Are we looking at him as an apostle or somebody that's bringing false hope? Or are we looking to him as our Savior, as the one that's able to do something about our salvation and give us the joy and the hope in this life and the life to come, eternal life? Praise the Lord. It's all how we stand at the cross. Praise the Lord. I'm going to move on here. I've got some interesting things here, but this, this, uh, this, uh, 
I won't get any further into that in the homosexuality, but that's a wicked sin. And it's being promoted more and more and more and more. Now, uh, they talk about uh, democratic society. An individual's right to die with dignity, euthanasia, that's getting rid of the old people, and the right to suicide, euthanasia, and the right to suicide. Euthanasia is also killing children if you want to. The right to suicide. Now, let me move into something else here very quickly here. If they talk about world community, it says here, we deplore the division of humankind, nationalistic grounds. We have reached a turning point in human history where the best option is to transcend the limits of natural sovereignty and to move toward the building of a world community. That's a one world government, folks. Now, that's what's going to happen during the tribulation period under the Antichrist. They're going to bring one world under the whole world under one government. It won't be a good government. It'll be a very wicked and mean and anti-God government, but it's going to happen. And that's what the humanistic manifesto is saying that we need. It says a system of world law and order and world order based upon transitional federal governments. And they, they go on here, hence extreme uh, disproportions in wealth, income, economic growth should be reduced on a worldwide basis. What you've got, take away from you that we may give it to the others who do not have. That's communism. That's socialism. That's what that's all based on. I've studied communism under, under you know, in Russia and Soviet Union. I've studied it extensively. I've read all Karl Marx's writings, uh, and I've read uh, all kinds of writings of Lenin and, and uh, you know, all of those leaders and how that they rose to power. You know what communism turned out to be? It turned out to be about 20,000 people who ran the Soviet Union, and they lived in splendor. They lived in wealth. Brezhnev's daughter said of him, my father's foot never touched the ground. He never touched the ground. He, it was, he went from his car to a sidewalk into his office, into his Capitol building, from there back to his home and everything. He never even walked the streets of Moscow. Living in Moscow, but never touched the streets because he lived in such high splendor because he was one of the leaders. Brezhnev, you know, Gorbachev, he's another one. Uh, Khrushchev, you know, name them, they're all the chefs. You know? <laughs> they were leaders of Russia in the Communist Party, you know. Joseph Stalin, even back there before that, after Lenin. All of these men, they ran the nation, but the people were not all middle class. They were all poor. I've been to Russia. I've been to St. Petersburg. I've seen their conditions. They live in a little, in little apartments that's got one bedroom. And the, 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 you know, they put the, the, the parents live in the bedroom and the, the kids all sleep out in the living room. It's like a house trailer. And they got all these apartments. They got just everywhere. You don't see homes like we have in America. It's that way right today because it's a, it's a leftover from communism. And the, the common people... They would work hard, but they would get no more than the guy that, didn't, that never worked. And so they said, why should I work hard? 
and I have nothing and he doesn't work at all and he has as much as I have. And so it, they, it lost the incentive to try to have, to grow, to have. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So it is a, it is toward, <coughs> excuse me, toward communism and uh, socialism. I'm not going to get any, any further into that. I only to say this. I fear for America because it seems like in America we're pushing in that same direction. Folks, it's already been proven it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. And the Soviet Union finally broke up and it, they had to abandon the whole idea and everything. After many years, they can't put religion out, get rid of all religions and get them out of here and so forth and everything. And I won't go any further into that, but only that socialism does not work. So they talked about world community. And then they talked about how that we need to promote that, believe it or not, here with by uh, radio and television uh, and theaters and things like this. So, so I'm going to read this last paragraph and I'm all through here. So stand the theses of religious humanism. Though we consider the religious forms and ideas of our fathers no longer adequate, the quest for the good life is still the central task for mankind. Man is at last becoming aware that he alone is responsible for the realization of the world of his dreams, that he has within himself the power for this achievement. He must set intelligence and will to the task. And they are, and they've got and they 395 signees here. I can name some of these people's names and some of them you've heard of. They were people in high places in our, in our American uh, government and so forth. But I'm just trying to tell you here that God wants us to understand here that this is another factor here. I'm just going to mention is Look under two here. Are you still with me here? I'm just speaking from my heart here about some things. And that is the teachings and, and, uh, and the search here. Look under number two here. Uh, evolution. The origin of species by means of natural selection. Natural selection means that the species just grew on its own. And uh, by Charles Darwin, written in, of course, uh, uh, I think it's 1859, he wrote this book, 1859. And it's a theory. It's a theory. It never has been a fact. They've tried to make it a fact. They've tried to find the missing link between the ape and the human, you know. They finally found it over in Africa, a little place over there that's no bigger than this platform here, where a guy and his girlfriend spent some doctor, spent, he and his girlfriend spent two years there analyzing some of the old findings there from way back. They said his spirit. And now they're claiming that that was the, uh, that is proof of the, of the missing link. I've been there. I've been there. Your pastor and I were there together. And we looked at the evidence. And I said, that's the evidence? The evidence is a footprint that's been like in cement, but it's in, it's in mud and it's become hard. That's got where the mud is flipped out instead of, and they said that our toes are pushed in. Our big toes are pushed in. Well, we wear shoes all of our lives. Naturally, your big toes are going to be pushed in some. <laughs> Women wear, you know, high heel shoes. There's big toes pushed in there. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Even regular shoes. And people who don't just wear flat sandals, you know, in other countries and everything, their foot, their big toes not pushed in that much. It's more pretty well straight. But this one, like, it, it flips out a little dirt. You can see where the dirt's flipped out. It's no bigger than the thumb on your finger. 
And there it is, that little dirt flipped out. And they said, because of that, that means that this footprint was half ape and half human because humans' toes only. And I looked at that and I said to your to pastor, he was with me there, and he said, how can they be saying that, Dad? I said, because they want to believe it. They want to believe it. And they try so hard and they make it to be what they call a fact when it's not a fact. I stood there and looked at it. I said, that person or whatever that person, whoever that was walking, it wasn't no ape, it was a human. That person's toe could have been broken. It could have been stumped. They could have twisted and turned and, and moved that foot at the same time. I'm just trying to tell you here all the reasons why that little story just doesn't hold water. Uh, and, and on the chart where you sign your name there, we noticed that a month before there had been Hillary Clinton and Chelsea, her daughter, was there viewing that themselves. So people go there. They go way out in the boonies in, in Tanzania, in a country in Africa. They find this little stuff, and they try to make it. Now we know we found the missing leak. Forget it, folks. I've been there. I've seen it. And it ain't so. It ain't so. Excuse me for my poor English, but that's really the way it is. That so, all of that evolution stuff is. They, they try to say we evolved from some, you know. If, so if there's some water on Mars, there's bound to be some life someplace, you know. There's bound to be, bound to be, bound to be. Giving no credit to God for His great creations and His handiwork that He's done, and everything, folks. The ingenious things of God is amazing to me to watch them. You, don't, you think a little one-cell amoeba, if it even existed in the beginning, I think it just keep popping out and popping and getting smart and getting smart and may finally evolve into a human? No way, no way. No. Where'd the water come from? Where'd the universe come from? Where'd the earth come from to start with? It didn't just, just happen here, you know? God had to put it here. So, I told you I was just talking more. Here's another one here, number three, the anthropology deception. I've talked, I've spoken and mentioned this before, the anthropology deception. And this is Margaret Mead. I remember when I was a young man and uh, my wife and I were evangelizing up in Indiana and we lived for a few months in, in, uh, in uh, Lafayette, Indiana. My wife worked at Purdue University. Uh, West Lafayette, which is across the river. And uh, she came there and spoke at that university, this Margaret Mead did. She was an older woman then. And she had been uh, a, uh, she had been an anthropologist who had gone to the Samoan Islands in her youth and lived with the Samoan Islands. And she had a professor to tell her, this is what you will find if nobody is taught what's right and wrong. If they're not taught anything about how to live right, how to talk right, all that kind of stuff. And this is what you will find. And she went there and stayed there for a while, came back and said, he was right, that's what I found. And she wrote her a book and she traveled all these universities, gave her speeches and everything. A guy later from England who was an anthropologist went to the Samoan Islands and he reported she lied to us. That's what he said. He said she lied, she did not tell the truth. They, in fact, they had more problems. You know, they, in other words, she was saying that instead of getting married, you just sleep around, you know. Guys sleep with girls, girls sleep with guys, 
They all have babies. Nobody, no big deal, like animals, you know, no big deal. And he said, she's dead wrong. You know, they were, they were, there was fighting, there was killings, there was uh, suicides, there was all kinds of grief and heartache and sorrow that was found among the Samoans, uh, the Samoan islands there, and the Samoans that live on the islands, of course. And all of this is, of course, found in the work of there. Look in Romans 2.14, if you would, with me for a moment. Romans 2.14. I, uh, look at this verse, 2.14. Romans 2.14. For when the, excuse me a minute. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Now look at verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And what Paul is saying here is that the Gentiles who did not have the Old Testament law of Ten Commandments and all the laws and everything given, they had a conscience. They had a law unto themselves. They knew what was right. They knew how to survive. They knew family was important. They knew that marriages were important. They knew that men and women staying together and raising a family and raising the children was important for a people, for a nation. You understand what I'm saying? And so for this one here to come up and say that, she lied. And then that, it was proven that she lied. I think it was after she had passed away that he came along and proved it and all and so forth. And here's another thing is that Charles Darwin, after he had written a book on the origin of species by natural uh, means of natural selection, later wrote another book and saying that all of that was not necessarily exact as he had written in the first book. And that's recorded as well. But you never hear about that one. Never hear about that one because I'm, I'm on a roll here. Just forgive me here. I'm just telling you folks that you and I have got to say we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we stand upon the word of God. Amen. I'm going to go back to Romans. You're in Romans chapter 2 there. Go back to Romans chapter 1 for a moment here. And I was reading some verses of scripture. Look at verse 20 again. For the invisible things of him that from the creation of the world are clearly the scene being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Look at verse 22, professing themselves. That's these, this humanistic, these, these atheists and these infidels and all these people that want to be so bold to say what they do. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I'm jumping, you know, around here a little bit, just showing you here that God condemned all of that. And so God wants us to understand here, <clears throat> excuse me, that he wants us to live right, walk right, and act right, and live right, and God will be blessed. Look at Ephesians 4.17. I'm moving a little quickly, quickly here. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.17 to 20. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that we henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that we have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus.
The truth is in Jesus. First uh, John 4, 1. I'm reading very quickly here. First John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. That's why that you just can't believe everything you hear, everything that's written, everything that's down on paper. And everybody's saying, all oh, this and that. I heard not long ago about one of the young men that grew up in our church now. He's now announced that he's an agnostic. He's an agnostic now. That's what he is. He's gone, you know, he's a grown man now and he's announced he's an agnostic. I'm sorry to hear that because the truth is right here in this word. I'm going to read here from Isaiah 29, 16. Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as a potter's clay. For shall the work say to him that made it, he made me? The potter makes the clay vessel. You know, he's working on the wheel. He's working. and He makes the vase. Does the pot say to the potter, you made me or why did you make me this way? Or I don't like the way I'm made. No, no. He says nothing because he's made. God made us. Praise the Lord. And so we stand in awe, and the Lord is the one, praise God, that will give us eternal life. He will give us happiness. He will give us joy, and he'll give us all the things, praise the Lord, that he has promised he would give. So I'm going to verse number two here. I'm going to skip the other verses because my time's running short. Look at number two here. Today, we stand at the foot of Calvary instead of Mount Sinai. You understand what I'm saying? We stand at the foot of Calvary instead of Mount Sinai as individuals, what is our individual attitude? How do we stand there? And I'm going to turn back to Matthew. This was the first scripture that we read in the very beginning here. If you'll turn back to Matthew where it says they crucified him, this is, uh, this is uh, the 20, 27th chapter of Matthew in verse 35. 35, 25, 35. 27, 35, thank you. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. Verse 36, and they sitting down there, they watched him there. Now that's not the only thing they did. Look closely now. Everybody with me? Verse 39, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Save thou thyself, if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, this is verse 42 now, he saved others himself, he cannot save. This is all at the foot of the cross. They were the ones that were saying, Lord, don't ever speak to us again out of heaven. It scares us to death. Send us a prophet and we'll listen to him. All right, so God sent Jesus Christ. That is God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he was the voice of God to mankind, but kindly in the voice of a man. And when they hung him on the cross, this was their attitude. Yeah, they, the priest, they, say, he, they said in verse 42, he saved others himself. He cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. That's what he said. They're mocking Jesus. Look down at verse 50 real quick. 
Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. That means he died. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Look at verse 54. I'm saving time here now. When the centurion and they that were with him, the centurion was the captain of the guards of the Romans that had crucified him. Watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, (coughs) they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, I've read all those and present them to you in that fashion to ask you this question. So how do we look at Calvary? So how do we look at Calvary? Lord, don't speak to us from the heavens about it. It scares us to death. Just speak to us through the Messiah. And whatever Jesus says, I will believe it. Do we still hold that, folks? Do we have to be like this crowd right here? They're saying, oh, no, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. You know, I'm going to believe whatever I want to believe. Man's going to do his own thing and, f- and so forth. Now, I'm going to show you one other verse. I've got a few minutes here, and I'm going to wind this up. I'm going to number three here real quick here. Yet once more, go to Hebrews 12:59. I won't read all these verses, but go to Hebrews 12. Praise God. 12:25, I'm sorry. Hebrews 12:25. Look at this verse of scripture. This is what the writer of Hebrews which they believe to be have been Paul. He says, "See that ye refuse not him that speaketh that's Jesus Christ. The Lord is speaking now to the, us to be saved and how to be saved, what to do. Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the early church. And then the Lord's word interpreted by the apostles and given us in the epistles. He says, now see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice then shook the earth. That's at Mount Sinai. But now he hath promised saying, yet once more I shall, I shall shake the earth only, but also heaven. Now, what you have in these scriptures here are all scriptures that verify everything that's said right here. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as if things as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. That's the church, the kingdom of God, the spiritual things of God, the things that we are looking to Jesus Christ for. They shall never be shaken. Verse 28, wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace thereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, I've pointed all that out to say to you here, we stand at the foot of Calvary, not at the foot of Mount Sinai, but there is going to be another shaking of the world. And if I were to go back to Haggai, I can show you in Haggai where it prophesied there's going to be a shake, the world's going to shake the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 13, 9 through 11. That's all in the scriptures here in your page. Isaiah 24, 5 and 6. This is all prophecies that God's going to shake the heavens and the earth one day. And then in Revelation 6, 12 and 17. <coughs> in Revelation 16, 18 and 20. 
It talks about how God's going to shake this earth like it's never been shaken before. It's going to shake everything to the foundations that that which cannot be shaken may remain, folks. And that's what God is preparing for you and I. Don't lose this faith. Don't give up on God. Hold fast to the Lord. Push forward. Amen. This is a truth. Never give up on it. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church one day. He promised it. He'll do it. And one day we'll hear the trumpet. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's give God the praise. God bless you. You've been a good audience here tonight. God is so good to all of us. Jesus, we love you, Lord. Praise God. We thank you for your goodness, your blessings, your kindness, your mercy. Bless this congregation in all things. Go with us, Lord, at this time. Be with us, God, and bless all of our classes, Lord, as they're being dismissed at this time as well. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your wonderful love and grace toward the church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, praise the Lord. Lord. Let's say it again. Praise Praise the Lord. Lord. Let's say it once more. Praise Praise the Lord. Lord. Oh, yes. God love you. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.